I just thought, you know what, if we don't have it, we're going to figure it out. We're going to roll our sleeves up and find a way. And that's one of our core values that we've stuck by since we, we started. And uh, roll your sleeves up and figure it out. And like I tell our players, we're in a bind. Put your mouthpiece in and buckle your chin strap, and we're going to fight this thing through. Uh, they expect more on the field. It, it's hard to surrender when you have the right mindset. And so I do. I believe that culture is, is a real mindset. You just have to keep going. And whenever you step and feel sorry for yourself about what you don't have, you're going to get beat. And I am the most competitive human being in the world. So <laughs> I'm not going to let it happen. If we don't understand how to win, then we'll never get there. So teaching a, man, a young man how to win instead of just saying it is critical. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo. Measure to master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Seth Thibodeau, head coach at Nichols State University. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Thibodeau. Welcome back to the Farm System, where Seth Thibodeau, head coach at Nichols State University. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Uh, it's an absolute pro- pleasure. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm very proud to uh, to be on with you guys. Well, absolutely. I mean, Coach, uh, uh, we've heard from you know a number of coaches now that you'd be a great resource to have on and uh, really talk through uh, developing, you know, some of these players and definitely with some, um, you know, some loopholes and some different ways that you had to do jump around some of these barriers to get it done. But again, we're, we're excited to jump in with you and we're excited to pick your brain about it. Oh, I, I can't wait to talk. Talking baseball is a, is a treat and, and I'm proud to be able to share some, some stories and some ideas. Uh, absolutely. And as we kick off the show here, Coach, uh, can you take our listeners through your journey to get to this point in your baseball career? Yes. Um, you know, it, it's been every every trial and tribulation and, and all, all sorts of adversity have, have always made sense, you know, throughout the years. And so, uh, but I, I finished up my playing career in college at William Carey in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and uh, which is where I met my wife, incidentally. And uh, from there, Played a little bit of independent ball and uh, realized that at one point there that I wasn't probably never going to be able to play for the Yankees. So uh, I knew that I had to finish up school and, and, and jump right in. I've always wanted to coach. And uh, at some point in, earlier in my life, I thought I wanted to coach football and um, definitely didn't take that route. But as I, as I grew, uh, figured out real quick that college baseball, it was always a Something about it that I was so passionate about, whether it be, you know, being around the players or playing it or watching the College World Series every summer, 
Uh, there was always something about it that I just wanted to be in, in that, you know, in that moment, in that profession. So uh, I was so fortunate to go straight from playing to coaching at Pearl River Community College uh, in Popperville, Mississippi. I was fortunate. J.R. Teague was the head coach there at the time, and I had a great thing going. And um, I kept aggravating him to give me a shot to coach, and um, and he, he okayed it. And, and I started there, and I was there for two years, and we won a ton of games there. But it was a great starting point for me because I wasn't making a penny. You know, I was on a meal ticket to start, trying to finish up school, um, you know, and, and gradually, slowly starting to get to a point where, they trusted me and, and gave me a, a little job on campus. I used to take care of the, the you know, the athletic fields on campus there at, at Pearl River. And I would cut grass and line fields. And, um, they started paying me by the hour. And before you know it, they upped my salary up to $5,000 for a year. So so it was uh, starting from scratch. And, and I don't think that I would ever have an outlook or be where I'm at or be the man that I am now without that opportunity because going into coaching, you really have no idea, you know, what you're really getting into outside of being on the field. There's so many other things to coaching that, that hitting the fungo was the smallest part of it. And so thank, so thankful that, that Jay gave me a chance there at Pearl River and uh, immediately was able to kind of grow uh, and, and, and into his program. And there was a lot of things he trusted me with. I started doing all the strength and conditioning. And maybe it was because those guys didn't want to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and they wanted the, the, the bottom of the barrel coach to, to do it for them, but I took it as, you know, the greatest compliment in the world. So that's really kind of where I started there, and, and I was there for two years, won a ton of games there, ranked number one in the country at one point. And, um, you know, I, after that first year, I was able to get uh, an apartment on campus, which is a really big deal because when you're not making anything and you're trying to pay, pay rent, it gets a little challenging. So um, in year two there, uh, after the second year, Jay got offered the head job at Southeastern Louisiana in Hammond and um, asked me to come along with him. And uh, so have bags, will travel. I was ready to go. I, I didn't have a whole lot to bring with me, but uh, we went over to, to uh, Southeastern and I got there literally um, a week before Hurricane Katrina. And um, I remember going, you know, supposed to go in and sign my, my year contract. And uh, Katrina hit, and there was a hiring freeze in the state of Louisiana that an entire, you know, for probably about eight months. So I literally worked for no, nothing uh, there for that first semester and into into March from the spring semester before I ever got a check from, from Southeastern. It wasn't like it was going to be a lot. I think my salary was ten grand a year. And uh, so we had to work camps. I was gutting houses in Bay St. Louis for cash. Um, in the morning, we'd go out there at five o'clock in the morning, and I would drive all the way back at lunch, uh, eating an MRE on the way home. All I could think about was hitting fungos and just living the dream, you know. At that time, I wasn't smart enough to understand the, the, the grind I was really putting myself through, but I would have never had it any other way. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So I did that for that first semester, and, and looking back, I can't believe I did it. But um, again, another challenge that, that just made me, you know, a little bit better human being. So um, but anyway, made it through that first year and then got a little bump in salary in year two. And um, after that, I, I, that second year is really, really when I kind of grew into 
the thoughts of, hey, what am I doing here? You know, where am I going with this? Where do I want to be in five years? I started doing a lot of thinking of my own and talking to other coaches and other assistant coaches now at Southern Miss is Chad Kaye, and he really uh, would, would help me with a lot of things. There's a lot more seasoned coach at the time, and, you know, I just started to think, you know, if, if I were a hitting coach now at, 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 you know, at Mississippi State or University of Texas, how in the world, you know, without having my own plan, how am I going to teach someone what I want to teach or how would I do what I want to do? And um, so I started kind of thinking about going somewhere where I can, you know, I'm a trial and error guy. I need to be slapped in the face a little bit um, so I can learn from it and make someone else better because of it. And uh, at the time, uh, there was an opportunity at, at Nichols and um, to be a top assistant. And, and I thought, you know what, this might be the place for me because this is where I can grow. And, you know, looking at Nichols at the time, they weren't very successful. But what they had uh, was a unique place. The, 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 the city was really neat. The campus was really neat. And the game atmosphere, though the stadium wasn't the best, you know, there were people cooking down the lines and, 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 and just really enjoying a game day atmosphere. And I always thought, man, this is a really neat place. I remember playing against them and, as a player. I remember coaching there as, as an assistant at first base. They used to heckle me when I was coaching first. And I always thought it was a, a really neat place. I thought there was promise there. I was like, man, if could ever get something going here this place is very unique so ended up going there and, and taking the assistant job and a couple of years later was very fortunate enough uh, after working for Chip Durham for a couple of years there um, they uh, gave me the head job and um, you know at first going in you know going into Nichols I remember it not being a very attractive place but I was too you know young and, and silly and I guess for lack of a better word kind of dumb and stupid uh, to know any better. I just thought I could do it, you know, and um, I remember walking my fiance around at the time, um, walking around the outfield and she was looking at me and she said, I, I, I trust you, but if you're going to do this, you, you really, you need to get to work now. <laughs> you got a lot of work to do. She saw that. I saw the other side. I was thinking Wrigley Field, Yankee Stadium. I was like, man, we're going to put students here. We're going to do this over here. We're going to put grills out here. We're going to do a berm here you know, and, and not knowing how long it would actually take to do all those things. But uh, it was definitely a vision that led me to that and, and, and excitement and passion about it. And, and look, the journey was, was long and, and tough. And it was, looking back, nothing was easy about it, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And, um, and thankfully, I had a really good uh, wife by my side to, to help me along the way. And the first few years, you know, she was in pharmacy school at Ole Miss. So, and incidentally, the only way she, she's a Canadian, so the only way she got into pharmacy school, um, being a, an out of you know out of state student, much less a, an international student, they usually don't take those. But uh, we went in for an interview. As I was coming down to Nichols, we went in an interview to try to get her in the pharmacy school there. And uh, the deal was that she had to be married to a United States citizen. So, you know, as a coach with no money, there wasn't any <laughs> ring buying at that point. So. <laughs> I remember going over to Walmart and buying a ring for five bucks and putting it on her finger and saying, listen, we're going to have to get you in pharmacy, pharmacy school this way. So but it all worked out. And, and now she's working here as well at CVS. And she's a tree coach's wife. You know, she played softball and, and soccer in college. So uh, she gets it. Thank goodness, because it, it can be a, a, a grind, so to speak. And uh, uh, But at this point in my life, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. Man, what an awesome story. That's crazy. And, and you know, when you look at uh, Nickel State, and you kind of dive into this just a little bit, um, but if you when you look at Nickel State and you look at other schools in the country, what do you think sets uh, Nichols apart? 
just think that, you know, the 7,000 students, it has a, uh, it's a true college town. And it's hard for anyone to really say that. You know, I heard Money Lee talking about Clemson a little bit. And, um, and I started to think about Nichols in the same way. And I always have. It's a true college town slash atmosphere all around. You know, people care about our players. Uh, they care if they're successful. They care if they graduate. They remember their name. We have a true fan base. And everything in our town of Thibodeau, in the city there, it revolves around our student athletes and, and, and take great pride in their kids. You know, they're okay with their kids coming on the field with our players after a game and before a game. And, uh, it takes a village, and it certainly is the neatest village in the world. Uh, but academically, you know, as challenging as it may be, it has a private school feel to it. Uh, but you're going to be in a smaller classroom setting by design. And, uh, you know, it's just a really neat place. And then when you start to grow with the, the community and the, and the university, you start to really fall in love with the people. You start to in love, fall in love with the atmosphere of the campus, the, the games. You know, our football team is a conference champion. Our basketball team, women's basketball, softball, there's, there's a lot of rings going around campus right now. And, and that's come a long way from where it was when we first started, uh, of it not being a very popular place. But in order for anything to be great, it takes a village, no doubt about it. And I think that's what Nichols really offers. Uh, you can get anywhere you want to go and accomplish the dreams that you want to accomplish uh, right here and, and doing it with people that love and care for you. And so I think that alone, uh, you know, combined with our game day atmosphere for, for a smaller school is outstanding. And, and um, people take pride in cooking for our team and cooking for our opponents, to, you know, that we play. Uh, it's very unique, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I don't know of anyone that's ever really had a bad experience coming down other than, you know, the fun part about it is we've had a 700 winning percentage since we've taken over in 2011 uh, playing at home. So, uh, but we enjoy it, and uh, we embrace the challenge. We embrace the grind, and uh, we try to not look at it as a challenge, more so of this is a golden opportunity. And uh, it's, an, it's an amazing place to raise kids, I'll tell you that. And so, um, you know, when our kids can come around the ballpark like they do, my kids literally go to daycare on campus about 100 yards from the baseball park. So it just makes for a really, really special atmosphere. And uh, it breeds, and parents love when their kids can come to school here. Man, that's awesome. I love it. love it. And I want you to dive into a piece of that a little bit further. I know this makes your job there. A little bit unique, but can you open up about your situation and then how you work with the the limited resources and, and the little to no budget? Sure. And and again, kind of dating back to when I first started, I didn't know anything. I didn't know that everyone had a game. You know, I just thought college baseball in itself, being a young coach, anybody can beat anybody. Anybody can, can do what they want to do. Anybody can accomplish what they want. And, and you, you take what you have and you make it great. And so I, I wasn't smart enough. Uh, to complain, you know, and, and so I just thought, you know what, if we don't have it, we're going to figure it out. We're going to roll our sleeves up and find a way. And that's one of our core values that we've stuck by since we, we started and uh, roll your sleeves up and figure it out. And like I tell our players, when, when we're in a bind, put your mouthpiece in and buckle your chin strap and we're going to fight this thing through. And uh, So I never, never thought that I didn't have it. You know, I was, maybe I wasn't smart enough, but uh, look, we don't have finances. We don't have tons of resources. But we have so many other things that so many places can't offer. Uh, so I like to use that as a positive. But, you know, we fundraise a lot. I fundraise over 200 grand a year. But it's not 
that big of a challenge because of the type of people that we're fortunate enough to be around in this area and work with. You know, like today, I'm I'm running a golf tournament today with our football team. You know, our our football coach we combine that, and well, we've we've done tons of fundraisers, and we we have unique ways of, of 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 creating the finances we need for our players to be successful, not just on the field, but in the weight room as well, uh, in the classroom. You know, our, our our graduation rate is through the roof, and uh, you just have to find your way. And if you don't have an imagination, then it's not the right place for you. It just, but I was fortunate that I've had spills before and I, I've pushed dirt around with a rake and I didn't have any money. So you had to find a way. And so thank goodness uh, that, that I went through those times in Pearl River and Southeast and all those times where I didn't have anything, but still had a vision in mind of being the best of what we can do. And so taking that to a very blue collar town and a blue collar school and a blue collar region, um, it was just maybe it ended up being a good fit, you know, and so people believe and uh, that, that's the biggest part of it. But the challenge every day is, you know, I never think that ours is good enough. So <laughs> I keep going. But like I tell our players and coaches, you know, maybe our, our facility where we don't have in structure, we make up with, with grit and determination and the type of human being that we really are, which matters at the end of the day more than anything. And it makes it more special. See, uh, we built our own stadium with our own hands. And all of the things that we've done with our facility and our surface and our locker room. I remember going into our locker room with a crowbar at midnight with one of my assistants when I first got the job and look, just changing everything. We're going to, we tore out all the lockers ourselves. We didn't pay anybody to do it. We didn't ask anybody to do it, whether that, that was smart or not on my part. You know, we, we have removed the lockers that have been in there for years and we repainted the walls and our players helped paint. You know, it's just if there's trash out there at the ballpark, it doesn't have to be the greatest structure, but boy, it can be clean. And when someone leaves our ballpark, I want them to say, man, that was fun. Man, that place is clean. Man, that place is neat. So we just, what we have, uh, we make it the best. And, uh, but the, there's always a challenge. And we're always trying to be the best, you know, and we've done so much with our park. We've done so much to create the atmosphere. Um, you know, we, last year we tore down the right field wall and the dirt that, we had, you know, like we just re-turfed our field as well and on the infield, which was a treat and, a, and, a, and a, uh, a firm believer in what we do and a huge supporter was able to help fund some things and we raised some other funds for it. But we turfed our, our infield and uh, with the dirt that they took out, we built a berm out in right field. So we just keep trying mm -hmm. to add to what we have and continue to try to make it the best. But I promise you, like I tell our players, we built this. No one else. You know, the championship that someone won 15 or 20 years ago didn't do it. And we didn't get this because we have a, a, a network of our own money coming in. We didn't get this because of going to a Power 5 bowl game or a New Year's Six-Day Bowl. We don't we don't have that. But we're going to take what we, we can find, and we're going to make it special. And I think at the end of the day, that's what college baseball is all about. And so I'll keep harping that to our players because, look, you jump on Twitter, you jump on uh, Facebook, social media, and you watch TV a little bit, you're going to see how wonderful everybody else has. And so I try to ignore that as much as we can without, you know, but also trying to find some of their ideas and making we have the best it can be. And so I've never heard a kid complain about uh, our clubhouse or the uniforms that we wear, you know, but uh, I, I do hear them complain about us not working hard. So I know that the, the mindset is correct. And um, But at the same time, we have to continue to progress. We're not going to pretend like what we have is the greatest thing in the world, but 
again, I look out there and I see the things that we've done, uh, you know, and, and, and what we've done with our own hands, and it, it makes it special. I'll tell you right now, we didn't have great bleacher setting when I got there. Um, so we, the New Orleans Zephyrs were getting rid of some bleachers, and they were throwing them away. And so I got with the sheriff of the, the local, you know, I got inmates in the truck one day, and we drove out and tore down those bleachers and brought them back to our stadium and built them ourselves. And so, you know, if we don't do that, maybe we don't, we're not able to host more people and sitting in the outfield bleachers. And so there's just so many things we've had to do with an imagination. And, uh, but there's nothing that could have been done without the entire village of the people that, that believed as well. And so you just have to keep going. And whenever you stop and feel sorry for yourself about what you don't have, you're going to get beat. And I am the most competitive human being in the world. So I'm not going to let it happen. I wake up every night, you know, sometimes writing ideas down in my notebook by my bed or, or in my truck or listening to a podcast that you guys have, just, just trying to create ways never ending and, and again it's, it's not a job for me it's 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 a way of life and it's uh and i'm so fortunate that the good lord has put me where i'm at and, and able to do what i do and uh because it impacts a lot of other people it's not really my impact it's the impact that you know the all the 80 something players that have graduated have something special to say about where they were and uh, the experience that they had and so that that drives me even more every day Absolutely. Amen. 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 <laughs> when we, when, uh, you know, I, I really want you to dive into this as well. I mean, you really spoke on it here again, like the culture that you guys have developed inside of those clubhouses as well. Um, you know, why does everybody talk about culture and what is it and why is it important to a team success? I think culture probably is one of those words that gets used, especially a lot now. And then before we know it, we'll find another word to use, but it's real. Um, just like we used to use the word grinder for everything, you know, now all of a sudden it's, it's something else. But culture to me is a mindset and, and whether or not your mindset's right. I mean, it can be a great culture. It can be a negative culture, um, you know, and when we took over, the culture was not good. Um, the culture was come here, you know, like I told our players when we first took over, we're not going to leave the country and, and beers drank throughout a year. You know, we're not going to leave the country and going out. I'm just going to tell you right now, if that's your ex expectation here, it's going to be a miserable time because we're not going to do that. That was first and foremost. And uh, So culture is the mindset. Like the, our guys, that I want them to dress properly. I want them to speak properly. I want them sitting in the front three rows of class and participating. I want them to have expectation about themselves academically. Now, if they can do that, their expectation of themselves changes when they get in the weight room. They expect more, you know, and when they see accomplishment with that expectation, that mindset, uh, they expect more on the field. It's hard to surrender when you have the right mindset. And so I do. I believe that culture is, is a real mindset. And I, and I think without the right mindset, there's no success there. But again, you win in the clubhouse. You win in the weight room. You win in the classroom. And you win when you're giving, you know, 500 kids at the Dixie Youth Night, uh, a free clinic, you know, you win there because those kids remember what you say. They remember how you dress. They remember your presentation to them. And that's really what they take and they remember about college baseball. And so I just remember all the camps that I attended as a kid, whether it was, at, uh, you know, I was growing up as a kid in South Louisiana, Lafayette area. I used to attend, you know, Tony Robichaud's baseball camp and Skip Bowman's baseball camp at LSU. And going to McNeese's baseball camp. That's just where I lived. And so I wanted it. I wanted to see what they did as a child and as a young man. And 
And then I made myself work those camps as well. And so I remember the impact of kids and coaches that I still talk to today because of the time that, that we were at these camps. And so uh, just remembering those things, I, I never want a kid to come around our program and say those guys spoke improper or they were immoral or, or that they didn't dress properly or, man, that place is sloppy. I just have a huge fear of that with our program. So um, I think all those things lead to the, the overall success of the program. But I truly believe that, that it impacts the, the play on the field as, as well. And so when you're taking look, I don't have 15 first-rounders on my team, nor will I ever. And, and for me to think that I ever will is, is, is silly on my part. So I'm going to take a kid that's blue-collar, and I'm going to try to teach him the best I can with everything else he has and uh, teach him to have that same mindset. And, and usually we recruit to that. But if they can take that, their time in these precious four years uh, is so impactful that it impacts them the next 25, 30, 40, 50 years of their life. So, um, you know, that's the culture of, of us. And I tell recruits and I tell our players, you've only got four years of this. But it will impact you. I remember everything my college coaches said. I remember everything, everyone, my professors, all of them. And I know how impactful we are from 18 to 22. I know where it's going to lead you. So I just remember my coach in college, Coach Hallford at William Terry, he's still coaching there today. I, some of the things he said and did, think I know why I went there. And other than that, I met my wife at that great university. The things that he said still come out of my mouth today. And so that's culture to me. That's mindset. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, when, when the bases are loaded and there's two outs in the ninth, I'm not sure the structure of the stadium matters as much as the heart the integrity of the young man and fighting through. So uh, those are things that I really think about when I think about the culture. It's, it's the overall mindset. Absolutely. I could not agree more with you. And I think a lot of people can recognize uh, what a winning culture looks like, but I think many fail, kind of come up short when it comes to implementing one. And uh, kind of building off that, when we talk about developing a winning culture like you've done there, uh, what are some absolutes, absolutes that you've used over the years? I think at the end of the day, the absolute of, 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 of sticking to a firm base, uh, but being able to broaden it, you know, and go out and find new ideas and adjust to where we are in society in 2018 without giving in. I think loyalty is everything. I think trust is everything, and that can never leave. So no matter what, no matter which way this world takes you, if you don't have your core values, in my opinion, you'll get eaten up and, and you'll go through some lulls. You'll go through some lack of success times and you'll become fake. And so I, I just, I don't like that, you know, and so I got to make sure we, we, our coaches and our players never become fake. We don't become insecure. Uh, I, I think we have to, to understand absolutes of, of player development as human beings, as what type of person we want to run. If I'm running a business, you know, how do I want this person to work for us? How do I want them to represent Nichols? How do I want them to represent everyone that goes to school here? So everyone will take pride in that. Um, you know, and we're never going to go away from our foundation of building our team in the weight room um, because, again, we're going to have to overachieve to win some games at times, and uh, we're going to have to do that a lot. And so uh, we've got to learn. We, we have to invest in so many other things outside of just the game of baseball. Um, but at the same time, our practice plan will change, and it'll be uh, – but it'll still stick to a core of what's really important, you know, and I, when I first took this job, I, I, from a playing standpoint, from a baseball standpoint, I wanted to make sure we can pitch and play defense. 
Uh, the, the hits will come and go, but uh, if we don't understand how to win, then we'll never get there. So teaching a man, a young man how to win instead of just saying it is critical. Uh, we spent a lot of time with that, especially this fall with our players, especially in 2018. Uh, there's so much different mindsets on baseball right now. It's not a bad thing unless we just sit here and complain about it. Um, it, it could be a great thing if, if we as college coaches just really harp and teach on how do you win. You don't just run out there and play. You're going to get beat a lot if you do that because games are lost. Uh, but that mindset of how do you win, why do we lift, why do we do sprint work, why are we doing Why do we act this way? Well, because this is how we are going to win. Um, someone at another school might have to do it a, a certain other way, but this is how we are going to do this, and we're going to stick to it with the same idea of we're going to advance a little bit. So, for example, you know, last year we were in the tops in the country in sack bunt, so in top in the country and hit by pitches. So immediately you probably think, hey, these guys probably play a lot of small ball, but we also were in tops in the country in doubles. So we, we progressed a little bit in our, our offensive mind plan. Instead of just bunting all the time, we're progressing to some other things and uh, trying to progress. And, and I don't want to stay the same all the time. It gets dull and boring. But I do know that our core is going to stay the same, if that makes sense. And, and, and can be a, uh, maybe a little confusing the way I put it out, but uh, we're going to progress in what we can. Uh, but we're always going to be have that identity. And I think that's a key word is knowing your identity. I think so many people don't understand their identity, especially nowadays uh, with, with baseball the way it is, the amount of uniforms being given away and, and rings being won at a very young age. You know, maybe maybe the big leagues now in our minds in the United States might be 12-year-old baseball. And so that's what we're dealing with. If we don't progress, if we just complain about it, then it's just always going to stay the same. So the identity, I'm making sure we're not in an identity crisis. And that's something we have to harp on quite a bit. That's awesome. And, you know, one thing that's really going around the game right now is obviously the use of technology. And, um, you know, we discussed uh, kind of some of the hurdles that you've had to jump through um, with, with, you know, the progression of the program over there. We were interested if you could kind of open up that. How does Nicholas State implement technology when it comes to developing players? Yeah, I think it's critical. Look, as so much as so is. Nowadays, sometimes I, I feel like I'm cheating a player if I have a team meeting without a PowerPoint. You know, <laughs> just standing up there and preaching maybe is not hitting these guys because they're a lot more advanced than I was when I was their age. And I'm not that old. Uh, I just think that they're, the, the things that they have opened up to and what they have, their high school years and my high school years were not the same. And so I have to keep reminding myself about it. how can I progress to make sure I'm able to teach them the best by still being old school. And, uh, but, you know, like we've been implementing, you guys have, have really uh, talked about it, Rep Soto. We've, we've used that a little bit to, to instant, give instant feedback because I think we're in an instant feedback society. So we don't get carried away with it. But at the same time, something so small like that uh, is a game changer because it teaches more. And, and if you have the resource and you're able to get the resource, then you're cheating your player if you don't use it. And so, and that's my opinion. But we spent a lot of time uh, watching some video. I, I, I like to video our guys taking ground balls. I like to video our guys at practice. I like to video our guys base running. Uh, if they don't see it, then sometimes they don't really understand. And if we're not teaching them uh, the why, their why, why we're doing this, 
and they'll never know. They'll go through four years of just their head spinning, and next thing you know, their career's over, and they didn't learn what they were supposed to learn. So uh, I have a fear of doing that as well. So I've always got to make sure we find a way, uh, you know, and, and, and progressing. Even with limited resources, we can still find a way. Um, we'll get we have the rep soto. We we actually use a huddle account. Um, like football uses huddle. We use huddle as well for baseball, and our guys can log in on their phones at any time and uh, with the app and, and watch their swing of an inner squad, or the pitchers can watch their bullpen. And so, you know, and if they don't, then I'm going to know. So, because all I have to do is log in and see who's watched what, you know, but uh, that trust thing comes back into play. And I, I think that a Division One player um, also can be an investing player, more so now than ever because they want to learn they're hungry for it uh, it is an elite level i tell them that all the time so um but not just that we'll watch videos of, of college world series the mistakes people made and, and you know the, we'll watch videos of other college baseball games and matchups in the postseason and we also watch our own all fall long we have parked on the four games we played in our conference tournament what we did great what we didn't do and i think the huge part of that is you know, understanding how to play in the, in the postseason of, you know, you have to slow this thing down a little bit. You get a chance for a one-on-one -on -one matchup. You have to deliver the blow, things like that. Things you're able to share. Uh, we use this quite a bit. A lot of our games are filmed uh, at home. Well, all of our home games are on, on film. And, and so we, we, we share a lot, but we don't just watch the entire nine inning game. Sometimes that can be a little long for guys, especially with the limited time we have. We'll break it down. I've watched a lot of film and I've broken down to certain points of things that we're stressed, you know, and, and some things so much as a tag. I'll film our guys putting proper tags on. I'll film our pitchers doing their pick work. I'll film a lot of things just to immediately share with them, you know, in case of a, a, a rough weather day or an opportunity for us to watch a little film. You know, maybe we've been going hard for five days in a row and they need a day to catch their breath. Uh, we'll go in and watch some film just to, to teach them some small points, pick moves, uh, momentum moves. So why didn't we get the bunt down? Why did we get the bunt down? Why didn't we turn the double play? Why didn't we turn the double play? Things like that uh, in critical moments in the game that I think maybe are undertaught nowadays. I, I try to spend as much time as that as, as we can. And uh, it's really, I, I see a progression with our players, but they have to see visuals, no question about it. And you know what? In 1998, if we had the opportunity to see visuals, we'd be doing it back then too. So. Um, the game isn't changed. It's really evolving. And so, uh, and look, I, I picked um, my good buddy with the Orioles, Bobby Dickerson, who I think you guys had on. I pick his brain on the things that he, he does because, look, he's an old school guy too, and he's having to adjust to the, the sabermetrics and all these things that they do and where they're supposed to play guys with defensive playing. And uh, So I pick his brain on it too, and it's really helped because we'll shift a little bit too, and uh, we'll do some things as well to, to make sure. And, do, do what we can to, to, to share with what we have. Yep, yep. Love what you guys are doing there, man. And kind of touching on things that are often undertaught in the game today, I wanted you to dive into a piece that you mentioned there, which is base running. Uh, I think it's an often overlooked part of, of today's game. So how do you guys work and implement base running at practice? Yeah, we, we, we really spend – the first thing we work on as a team, as a position players, when we get into our group work and small groups, you know, simply working on our leads and secondaries and harping on them, uh, understanding why, you know, understanding what we're looking for, um, you know, and then from there when we get to practice, uh, you know, there's a few things that we do. 
Uh, one was we'll do a, basically a carousel type deal where we have steel brakes at first. Uh, we'll have steel brakes at second. And uh, we'll work on stealing home at third and working on uh, you know our break for a squeeze play. But we also work home the first during that segment as well. And just simply getting the front part of the bag and breaking down. Even though it's not a full 90, uh, we'll break it down into about a 60 off on the side and foul territory and have them with some throwdown bases uh, running three groups, three lines. You know, we'll, we'll break the team and the position players into to four groups, and we have a group at each base. And, and first base, they're running, breaking down, stepping in, you know, front part of the bag and with a breakdown. And understanding just that portion of it, because if we don't harp on that, they'll they'll run out into right field every time they're out, you know, <laughs> or they won't break down. They won't touch the front part of the bag. An injury may come by stepping on the top of the bag. I want them stepping on the top part of the bag. And I want them to understand the detail of base running, how important it is, and how it can win games for you. At first base, we're working steel breaks, like I said, second base, steel breaks. And then again, third, third base, we're working on steel breaks and squeezes. And then another segment for another day is balls in the dirt. Uh, we'll put, you know, a third of our guys at first, a third of them at second, a third of them at third. And we're working on balls in the dirt uh, first base. We're working on kicks at second base. And of course, we're working on the big hustle play, two out kicks. Uh, with runners at third base, trying to get that run with two out. So we'll implement that, that there. Uh, you know, it's something that I've stolen from Dan McDonald years ago uh, is crack the bat. We'll have guys at the plate, guys at first, and guys at second. Uh, we'll have a coach standing on the mound. When he lifts the bat, the guys work their secondary. When he makes contact with the bat, they're rolling. They're picking me up at third base. It gives me an opportunity uh, to show what I like to do to work that chemistry, they understand my hand signals and my, what I'm trying to get from them. Um, so we'll round them, we'll hold them up. It's, it's really good because it forces a, a player to run with his head up instead of looking down uh, because you've got to look ahead. And, and it makes them pick me up at third base immediately and understand me. So uh, they'll be in three groups, and when they all end up back at the same place, uh, that's when that, that segment is over. And it really, these, these these three things that we just talked about, look, we're looking at nine to 12 minutes a piece max. So we're not killing them. We're not wearing them down. But we're going right into this the early part of practice because base running can be monotonous. It can be boring. It can be tiring. You might hit it at that point in practice where guys got to a point where they're just tired of getting through it. And that's my biggest pet peeve is just getting through it. So we'll hit base running early in practice. We take a lot of pride in base running during DP. At first base, we are working to get to third base. Uh, we're reading glass to glass. We're reading angles with outfielders working live during DP. We are trying to get to third base on a hit and understanding when we can and when we cannot. And so uh, and then we'll go to second and really work on our reads of knowing where the outfielders are at, understanding, you know, the differences in, in no outs, one, one out and two outs. And then, believe it or not, the hardest one of all, is simply base running at third. And we do a lot of base running at third and BP just to simply, uh, you know, some, so many kids on a line drive, believe it or not, are, their momentum gets excited and they go towards the plate instead of tagging. So we work our tags quite a bit during BP and understanding how to keep our head up there um, and, and really dwell on that. And then something I, I've enjoyed, we really do a lot of uh, in inner squads. If our guys get thrown out stealing or if they get thrown out reading balls in the dirt, I send them back. Uh, just to get them another rep, in there, get them to understand it's okay to get thrown out. It's, 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 if you're scared to get thrown out, then we've got a problem. Uh, 
but those guys simply understanding the importance of trying to gain that edge um, and trying to understand what we're trying to accomplish with the base running game and how it can create so much. Because on the flip side of it, on defense, I'm always talking to our guys, eliminate the extra base. You know, eliminate the extra base. This is how we do it. Make sure your tag is proper. Make sure you dictate where he slides, things like that. And so when they understand that from a defensive side, it makes it so much easier on the offensive side. And so I think it really has done some tremendous things for us in the bases. But we also run our first and third offense against a live defense. And we run our, you know, some things against lives, against pitchers. We'll, we'll have pitchers working on their pick work and, and slide steps and doing a live bullpen with base runners. So those things like that have, have really helped us out. And it's taken average to below average base runners and allowed them to play at a high level and at, at the Division One level. Yeah, man, that's some really good stuff. And when we, as we get to the words, the end of the combo here, um, when we revert back to earlier in the conversation about culture, um, I wanted to pick your brain on this aspect of it. What advice do you have for coaches when it comes to taking over a program and then building that foundation for a winning culture? I think the first thing, uh, just kind of thinking back is staying, being a loyal human being to your coaches and players. I think being truthful, I think being yourself, I think eliminating any kind of fake. Um, I think those things are important. Sticking to your core values uh, so critical. Uh, starting out a program, I think uh, sticking to and knowing what you want to accomplish, knowing what you want, what kind of identity you want to have, uh, knowing what you want an opponent to think of you when it gets to the park, you know, and um, knowing what people say when they you know, play guys, not just complimentary, but maybe a fear of playing. Um, dang, we got to play these guys and punch for nine innings. My goodness, you know, those are the types of things I want our players to feel in them and to our coaches. And, um, details, details build empires. You know, cleaning the ballpark, cleaning your office. You know, you never know when someone's going to step into that office, uh, cleaning the clubhouse. You never know when someone's going to walk in there for the first time, and that is their mindset and their perception of your program. I truly believe that. I, I'll ride around campus sometimes on a golf course, and if I see trash, I'm going to pick it up. I just want when someone steps on our campus that they just take, they just look at it and say, man, this place is outstanding. I just that the identity I think is critical. I think sticking to your core values, and man, just slowing down. Slow down. There's no reason to, to get sped up and you know, you go, next thing you know, you're three years into it and you can't remember why you started or what you did, you know, uh, just slow down and understand that, you know, sometimes Twitter isn't the most important thing. Social media isn't the most important thing. It's just done improper. I'm not trying to impress that way. Uh, just those things. I, I think staying truthful to the type of person you, you are and have a presence of, of loyalty and, uh, and energy, you know, and, and bringing the alumni back is so important bringing people on campus. I spend time, um, you know, I go visit all the fraternities and sororities before the season and invite them to our ballpark. Uh, we bring our guys to local churches in town to invite them out there. I want people to think that this is their program, not my program. I want them out there. I want them to take great pride in Nichols baseball because they feel like it's them. And so all of these things, I know it's a lot, kind of scared a little bit, but I think those things, you know, if I could share that with anyone and, those main things is staying true, being loyal, being trustworthy, knowing that when people look at you or your players, that they trust them. I always wanted our players when they walked around campus for everyone, professors, students, I want people to look at them and say, 
dang, man, that guy plays baseball here at Nichols. I can't wait to go watch him. Not, oh, that's just another baseball player. You know, uh, little things like that I always felt were so important to, to the program and to what we truly are. And uh, The wins and losses will take care of themselves, but at the end of the day, the core values never lose. So um, there's so many things that a young man being so impactful in that time can accomplish. And it's our responsibility to make sure that happens. And so outside of just the baseball side of it, those, you know, those things are important. And then you take that onto the field and you got a chance to be pretty good. Yeah, man. I love that. Love hearing about it. You know, I, I we really appreciate, appreciate you helping on with us this morning and opening up some valuable information uh, uh, for our listeners. Um, if any of those guys tuning in with us this morning uh, want to reach out to you about anything that we've covered today, what's the best way for them to do that? Look, I, I think, you know, a simple phone call on my cell. I'm not too big to share my phone number or, or an email. Uh, my email is on our website, but it's it's my name. It's Seth.Chibito at Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S dot E-D-U. And you can call my cell phone. I'm, you can call my phone at 985-981-0513. I'm always open to helping or, or, or sharing anything because I'll tell you this, <laughs> most of what I've got has been taken from someone else at some point. And uh, so I'm always, I'm always looking forward to speaking and talking baseball. Awesome, Coach. Well, uh, uh, Joey and I greatly appreciate you helping on the call with us this morning and uh, talking shop, giving some insight into how you guys do things there at Nickel State and, uh, you know, ultimately giving back to the game. So uh, really appreciate you helping on the call and, and just wanted to thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Man, it's so awesome to get somebody as humble as uh, Coach Thibodeau on the, on the call. Um, but this call takeaway is brought to you by Silverback Sports. Silverback Sports is the alpha when it comes to arm care and training essentials. Silverback's training products are constructed from premium materials and are designed to be durable and dependable to withstand the toughest and most rigorous throwing or training programs. Visit shopsilverback.com to see their entire line of high-quality products at very affordable prices. Also, follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date at shopsilverback. That's at shopsilverback. Yeah, man, it was great to get Coach on the show. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? I think my biggest call takeaway was even when he's talking about, um, you know, when he's talking about technology and he's talking about all the ways of developing his players. I mean, um, he kind of has that no excuses. Like, you know, there's a ways he can, you know, whatever money he has, it's focused towards development and, you know, again, utilizing different things like huddle. You know, I've actually looked in the huddle as well and kind of thought some similar thoughts. It's great that he's executed on that front and, you know, gives players a way to have all their, you know, film in one place and it's great for sharing and all those other things. So, um, and again, that's not an advertisement for huddle, <laughs> but there is, there is some great value in, uh, you know, players having access to that stuff and, um, how they, you know, he continues just to find a way. Um, it's just, it's great. And again, with everything he's brought to the, you know, to that school, um, and his mindset is just awesome. But how about you, Bo? Yeah, man, I loved hearing coach Thibodeau open up how he's created a winning culture uh, really from nothing. And I think it goes back to big time is where our feet are. You know, after listening to that show, it made me do a little reality check. I think there's really no excuse for why we can't make the most out of what we have. And uh, like Coach mentioned, it kind of all starts with building and setting that foundation. So I think it's important to remember um, when we start uh, to, to think it's not what we don't have, but it's it's realizing what we do have and making the most of it. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, guys, again, this is always, um, you know, always a great episode, especially this one, you know, again, talking about doing uh, more with less and, um, you know, really uh, developing a program and uh, building cultures again. Um, you know, this is a great understanding, especially too, when guys are understanding about developing, developing players and taking advantage of what you have available to you. Um, it's always guys that are underneath, you know, some of uh, these constraints that find creative ways of developing players and continue to push the envelope. So, Great episode always to share with that. Um, again, always guys, take a look over um, at our on our site. We got a whole bunch of resources there for you. Got some big things here coming soon. Um, stay tuned on all that stuff. Um, also, too, guys, check out the ABCA podcast if you guys haven't checked that out either. Um, again, like a great a great uh, show to develop yourself as a coach if you don't already listen already. But from us and our partners over at Rap Soto, until next time, Farm System out. <laughs>